This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Mobile hunters, are you still looking for a lightweight and comfortable option to fit your hunting style? Well, look no further than Tethered's Phantom Saddle. It's extremely comfortable and extremely adjustable to fit exactly the way you want to hunt. I think my favorite features of this new saddle are the comfort channels, which is where the bridge kind of locks into the saddle. There's no more kind of fidgeting, moving your saddle around to try to find the right spot and reduce hip pinch. This just kind of locks in exactly where it's supposed to be. It's an extremely comfortable sit. The other uh, option or aspect of the saddle that I really like is the Utila Bridge. Oftentimes, you're in a tree putting your tether up, and you have a branch in the way, and so you're not at the right height. And it changes the angle of your bridge, which changes your comfort. Well, there's a Utila Bridge now that the Phantom has to where you can adjust that. So no more does it matter where exactly your tether height is as you can adjust that length of your bridge uh, with the Utila Bridge itself. I think the other thing that helped me make the adjustment two years ago-ish when I transitioned to saddle hunting was the Predator platform. If you're coming from a tree stand, a little bit of familiarity with having a platform uh, went a long way in just making me comfortable with my overall setups. So the Predator platform might be something you want to look into. If you're interested and you're still just kind of on the fence, you can go to tetherednation.com and check out their teach and train sessions that they're doing in, in a bunch of towns uh, that are most likely near you. Um, they're doing these sessions to help you come out and get familiar with their gear, talk to some saddle hunters, and, and just kind of a, a, exactly what it is. They're there to kind of teach you how to saddle hunt and how to get into it the, the, the best, the most comfortable way, and, and the safest way possible. So if you check out that tab on their website at tetherednation.com, teach and train, it'll show a bunch of locations. I'll be at the Total Archery Challenge in Seven Springs, August through uh, 20th through the 23rd, and I hope to see you guys there. The first thing I do in the morning before a hunt, before a scout, or just before getting ready for work is have my morning coffee, and I'm sure most of you out there listening are the same. Make sure you're filling your mug with Skull Brew Coffee, as it is the only coffee company that is both 2% for conservation certified and donates 10% of its profits to conservation organizations to help secure the future of our wild places. So head to SkullBrewCoffee.com and choose between three killer roasts of coffee and know that you are supporting conservation with every sip. (laughs) 
Welcome to the Truth From a Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 186. Today we're moving along the Hunting Beast listener Q&A series, talking, reading, maps, and topo with Dan Enfault. So stay tuned. What is going on, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you're doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. I gotta admit, I'm a little, I'm a little down today. Just got back from from vacation. Of course, Monday starts the work week, so back to the uh, back to the grind. Had a good trip down to see my dad in North Carolina. Uh, did a little relaxation around the pool. It's always good to see him and and get to spend a little time with him. What's crazy, man, is that the old man. Um, you know, he didn't really hunt a lot of archery growing up and I, while I was growing up. And I know I've mentioned this in the past, but so this past weekend, I didn't take my bow with me or anything whenever I went down, which is, isn't usual. I usually take it with me because it's a bunch of free time that I have. And I usually do some shooting and stuff like that. But I just felt like this weekend, you know, this, this trip for the long weekend, I was like, you know what, I'm going to leave all the archery stuff and hunting stuff at home. And I'm going to focus on just kind of hanging out with the family and stuff like that. And so I left my bow at home, got down there. And that was the first thing my dad asked me if I brought along was if I brought my bow. I said no, and he was a little disappointed. So, but he has a couple of recurves at the house. So he was like, you know, I figured, you know, we would do a little competition shoot, see who could who could shoot better. And I was just like, sure, you know, old man, I'll out shoot you, no problem. He's like, but since you didn't bring your bow, you know, he's like, I guess we'll just have to bust out the recurves. And I was like, sure, you know, you know, no problem. Let's shoot, let's shoot the recurves. I haven't shot one in a while. You know, I, I played around with one for a good solid year, and I got. I'm not going to say I got proficient, but I got to the point that I could shoot and confidently shoot out to like 20 yards with it. Haven't shot it in a long time. It is not one of those things. It's like riding a bike. It takes, you know, constant practice with, with, uh, with a recurve to, to stay sharp. And, uh, I I've not stayed sharp. So I don't know. I guess it was like the second or third day. He was like, you know, go ahead to the garage and grab a, grab one of the recurves out that shoot. And I was like, sure. So we, you know, uh, I go to the garage, I pick one out and, uh, come to the backyard and, dad's waiting for me and I hand him the bow. And I was like, I figured I'd let him go first. That way he could, you know, em- embarrass himself. And then I would come up behind him, you know, and take a, you know, not have to be too fine. Like I was basically planning on him missing the target and then me just hitting the target, which, you know, equals, you know, I shot better than him. So I hand him the bow and he pulls it back and lets it rip. And he freaking pinwheels the the target. I mean, I, the old man probably hasn't shot the recurve since the last time I was at his place, which was probably four years ago. And he just pulls it off, dusts off the old arm and lets one rip and just, and just completely pinwheels the target. I of course take the next shot and, uh, you know, launch the arrow into the field behind his house. So that's how that, that's how that played out. But he did end up, you know, giving me one of his recurves cause he has two. And he was like, Hey, do you want one of these? And I was like, sure. Cause I wouldn't mind start shooting one again a little bit more regularly. Now I'm not going to go all, you know, recurve or traditional or whatever at this point, I think at some point I would like to gradually make that move. Um, I think it'd be kind of cool. Um, especially as I, you know, do a little bit more hunting on the ground and stuff like that. I think it'd be really cool to, um, you know, take a white tail from the ground with, you know, traditional equipment, which would be, you know, super rad, but that's not in the cards for, for right now. So I was showing up by, by pops, you know, once again, it doesn't matter. It doesn't you know matter how old you get, how old your dad gets, you know, or how, how much older you get. It seems like he always still bests you at almost everything. Uh, he's got that dad strength too. I'm pretty sure even if we had gotten to a wrestling match now, 
Like he would probably still beat me because he's got that old man strength. I don't know where that comes from. But but with that, I got back from vacation and had some whitetail work to do. So now after the 4th of July kind of holiday family vacation over with, I can now kind of fully turn my attention and focus to, to whitetails. And so as soon as we got back, I had a little bit of stuff to do with the trailer, which I'll talk about here in a second. But uh, my main thing was, was that there were two cameras that I'd put out along some water access and they were the first cameras to go out. And I said, I was going to let everything soak about a month. Um, and these were out for just, I think exactly a month. And so I had a free, you know, couple days cause I came back early before my vacation was over and had two days at home, um, without having to go to work. So grabbed the kayak, kayaked into those spots. The one spot it, I was expecting a little more from it. If I'm being honest with you, it's, it's near food. It's close to food. It's the only only spot that I have that has any agriculture even remotely close to it. And so I was really kind of holding out some hope for that, that that was going to be like a slamming um, early season spot. And I was expecting like, I'm going to go in there and pull this camera card. And like, I didn't expect to see like, you know, bucks every day or whatever, but I was like, you know, I'm expecting to see it like at least one to two really good bucks. And I didn't have any good bucks on that camera at all. Now there's a tons of ton of does. I mean, I had deer almost every single day for the past month hit that camera, um, which means it might be good for for rut. But I already had a couple spots that I thought were going to pan out well for for uh, for rut. So I pulled that camera card, and you know, even since I was still getting photos and getting images, I felt like the camera was in the right spot. And it just kind of was a matter of time until things started to shift that I would start to hopefully get the right you know, the right images on that camera that I was hoping for. So jumped back in the kayak, paddled across this piece of water over to the next spot, uh, walked in there. This spot I had a lot of, have a lot of high hopes for in terms of pre-rut. It's one of those places I talked about before that had some, uh, scrapes and licking branches that were open, um, you know, late into the end of May that I could tell that they had still been used. Um, so I had, you know, was pretty excited to put that camera in there, went in there, pull the camera card and have two really good bucks that I'm, you know, we'll see They're borderline shooters. You know, I think the image I had of them was from mid June. Um, you know, so like three weeks ago since, you know, from the time that this, this is going to come out. Um, and they had a lot of promise. Um, one particularly showed a lot of promise, but he looked like a young deer. When I looked at his body, he looked like he was probably no more than two and a half. Uh, the one that looked like he was three and a half looked like he'd be okay. And probably a borderline shooter, um, so we'll just kind of have to wait and see how those, those develop. But the cool thing was, was I had that, uh, camera kind of pointed, I could catch a little bit of that licking branch in that, you know, old tended scrape that w- had been there and uh deer were still coming through hitting that licking branch, you know, right. As soon as I put that camera out, I had a couple does come up and hit it. There was a young buck that came up and hit it and worked it. So, um, you know, they're still communicating in that, in that general area. Then after those, you know, that bachelor group of bucks kind of made their way through, I had a few other kind of, you know, a few other bucks that rolled through that weren't much to speak of. Um, and the, and the potential shooters never kind of made their way back through. So I need to kind of study the map a little bit. I think I know where they were headed. Um, and we'll just kind of have to wait and see how things kind of transition after, you know, velvet comes off and, and, and what all kind of happens there. I still think that's going to be a slam dunk spot for pre rut and rut. Um, so for me, that'll be like the very end of October. And then I'm out of state for a couple of weeks to hunt. And then, you know, I'll come back here and catch that week, um, that week in late, uh, late November, um, that last week before gun season comes in. So that'll be kind of the plan for that section. The rest of the cameras were all on parcels that hadn't been out for quite a month yet. So they're still soaking. I'll let them sit for probably like another week, uh, maybe two weeks, uh, and then go pull those. It might have to even be just a little longer than that. Cause there might be a, an out of state scouting trip happening here in July. Um, still kind of coordinating those dates. And then there might even be one, um, 
in August where I may be headed to Missouri in Kansas, uh, Missouri to scout for this year um, as I'll be there in November. And then since I'm out that way, I figured I might as well drive just a little further, head to Kansas because I'm planning to go to Kansas next year. So I wanted to go out, hang some cameras, do a little scouting, put cameras out, let them soak for the year. Um, that way I get a year's worth of intel then try to head back out there this winter uh, to scout, pull the cameras and see, you know, see what's shaking and, and start to make a game plan. So that was really the kind of the, the white tail and camera update. I finally got everything in for the trailer. Like that is, I think for the love of God, I think I've got everything in that I need. It's like, I feel like I've ordered something different every day. Um, you know, the solar should go in in the next week or two. I just need a dry, a solid dry day to make that happen. Um, so just waiting on this weather storm to kind of this, you know, uh, weather system to move through so I can, so I can make that update. Um, got some paneling that I got to put up yet. So once the solar is in, it's really just kind of some finishing touches and stuff like that. And so I'm getting really close to, uh, really close to being done. So the last two big things will be the solar panel on the roof, running the the wiring in and getting that all set up. So the solar generators powered, you know, and, and stuff like that. And then the other big thing is I got the window and I'll need to do a window install and I have yet to kind of figure out where I'm going to put it. I think I'm going to put it on the door, not hundred percent certain, but what I do have is a video actually, backing up for a second. I did a video of some trail camera prep and, and hanging trail cameras. That's on YouTube that I just put out. So you can check that out. Uh, but I'll also have the first video of the DIY, uh, cargo trailer build, which will come out. If you're listening to this on Wednesday or Thursday, it'll come out Friday. Um, so that'll be, co- uh, coming out just kind of, I, I want to bring everyone along as in terms of like, you know, what I started with and what I end up with at the, at the end. And I'll share the gear that I'm using and, you know, the equipment that I bought and, you know, the things that I'm installing and stuff like that and provide links that way. If anyone has any questions, maybe wants to check some of that out or wants to pick up something similar, you'll have all that information, uh, there at your fingertips to be able to use. So I think I'm on task or on schedule to actually make the end of a July deadline that I kind of had set for myself. I think there'll be a few odds and ends that I'll need to kind of clean up, you know, at the end, which is simple things like putting a toolbox on the front to carry scissor jacks and things like that, that I'll have to kind of finish up as the summer pushes on. But like the labor intensive stuff of like actually creating the, the trailer and like the, the living conditions and, and, and things of that nature itself will be, will be finished, I believe by the end of July, which is uh, which is pretty exciting, which means, you know, hunting season is just around the corner. And then, uh, and that's it for the whitetail updates, man. I'm just, you know, looking forward to, to deer, you know, deer season, you know, getting here, I'm shooting my bow more often, just kind of getting all those things dialed in and, and, and ready to rock and roll. But with that, we won't delay, uh, getting into this podcast any longer. Have a cool show for you today. Uh, I've had a lot of fun doing this series with, with, with Dan and the, uh, and, and the, and the guest listener or the listener guest that we've had in on these podcasts. And, uh, today is the next installment or the next round of that, uh, hunting beast listener series. And, and the questions that we got for this session were all related to reading maps and topo. Um, it's one of those things I think for me, you know, as I, you know, went through my hunting journey, if you will, once there were two big things that were almost aha moments for me or places where I can kind of look at and say, these things made the biggest difference. Once I got comfortable with them, you know, they made the biggest difference in, in terms of my hunting and, uh, encounters and, and overall success. The one, and the first thing I kind of like learned and got comfortable with first was really just reading a map. You know, it's like growing up hunting a back 40 of most of my life and stuff like that. There wasn't really a whole lot of requirement to, you know, read a map. Um, you kind of knew where the hot spots were and you knew where you needed to be if you wanted to see deer on that property. And those were the places that you went. 
you know, however many years ago, whatever it was, you know, when I started, you know, venturing strictly off into public land where it's like a lot of times I was going places I'd never been before. That would, you know, that's most of the time reading a map became, you know, critical. It became, if I couldn't do it, I was, could plan to basically sit somewhere and not see deer really ever. And so, you know, I dove into understanding maps and stuff like that. And, and all of a sudden I started seeing more deer and having more success. And I think for folks who might be earlier on in their, their hunting journey, you know, reading maps is, can be somewhat challenging if you don't have someone kind of help, you know, show you how to do it. And, and I was lucky I had a buddy like Greg Litzinger. So I'd talk to him or I had a buddy like Chad Sylvester, who was really good at map reading. I would talk to him and I had Donnie Wilson on, you know, a long time ago, early in the podcast. And Donnie's really good at, at map reading and kind of, you know, being able to kind of pick stuff out of maps. And, and, and he was a guide for a lot of years and stuff like that. And so it was those dudes who I kind of, you know, learned from, you know, whether they knew it or not, I was picking stuff up from them. And that really kind of helped me progress as a hunter. The next thing was, you know, um, you know, learning how to hunt the wind and play the wind, which we just did a whole series on that previously. And so I think those two things, the previous session with Dan talking about wind and thermals is critical. I think this session, you know, for people to understand map reading and what you're looking for in maps, whether it's in hill country, whether it's in farm country, whether it's in swamps, whatever the case is, being able to take a chunk of property, look at a map and start to discern where you are going to potentially see deer and where are some places you might want to avoid. So that's, that's what this session is all about. It's going to be a two part series again. Um, cause again, this was kind of a lengthy, a lengthy session. So we'll break this up into to two segments and things that we kind of cover in this first segment, you know, is, is, is really, you know, looking at, you know, the aerial versus topo versus satellite, you know, which, which one are you using and, and, and when, and, and how are you using each of those and, and in what situations are they the, the most helpful? Dan talks a little bit about a tool that he likes to use to kind of do a compare and contrast of like the topo versus the, uh, versus the aerial view kind of side by side. Of course, Onyx is a great tool. You know, most people are in, in the timber and, and don't leave home without, without that. One of the other things we talk a good bit about is speed scouting. I think once you get proficient at looking at maps and reading and reading maps, you can really scout a large area of land very, very quickly and save yourself a, a lot of time and, and know with confidence that you hit probably the best 10% of that property and have, and have a good plan for, uh, for how to hunt it. The other thing that I thought was interesting that we talked about a little bit is we talked a little bit about shapes that you'll see on, on maps. I know for me, you know, early on when I started kind of looking at maps and trying to understand them, you know, it was, it was hard for me to always necessarily under, you know, be able to determine, you know, what the elevation was and which way things were going, like which way is down, which way is up. Like at the beginning, it can be very daunting. And so what I started doing was learning shapes. You know, whenever I see this shape, a U shape or two V's back to back, like that's, that's your sat or that's a pinch point. You know, if you see two high points with like a, 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 a pinch in between those or like a V shape in between those that's, you know, that's, that's a saddle. And like, so I started kind of picking out shapes that I could understand shapes correlated to terrain features. Uh, and so we talk a little bit about that and how Dan kind of looks at that. And if there are shapes that kind of pop out to him. So, so with that, we'll go ahead and jump into the podcast. And as always, I want to thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today we have our next installment of the Hunting Beast listener Q&A session. Today is all about reading maps and topo. I'm, of course, joined with some uh, with some friends. It wouldn't be a podcast if we didn't have some friends on it. So first we have John. John, I'm not even going to say your last name, man, because I will butcher it for, <laughs> for sure. It's John Paluzzi. John Paluzzi. We have John Paluzzi from uh, native of Pennsylvania, recently relocated to the great state of West Virginia. How you doing, brother? You doing good? 
Yep, yep, everything's good. Good, man. How are you doing? I'm good, man, hanging in there. I'm ready to talk deer hunting. I'll tell you that today, uh, the, the work grind today got to me, so I'm, I'm, I need a little reprieve. So this came at the, the, the perfect time. Um, and then, of course, it wouldn't be a hunting beast Q&A session if it wasn't, uh, if we didn't have the beast himself. We have Mr. Dan Enfault, also known as the world's leaning expert on the Vollmer nasal organ. How you doing, Dan? <laughs> good. <laughs> doing good. <laughs> a little inside joke for everyone. If you haven't listened to the, uh, the first session where we talked all about wind and thermals, I got a little knowledge dropped on me and I had to do a little bit of looking into it, the Vollmer nasal organ. Um, and I, I, I now I'm not an expert, Dan, I'm not on your level, but I did do a little bit of reading about it. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you now. I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get there. <laughs> you just did research to make sure I wasn't bullcrapping you. No, no. It's like, dude, I, I, I feel like you preach the gospel, man. I know you well enough. You're a straight shooter, but I was like, man, I was like, I need to see what that actually is. If nothing else, it's just a good name and I want to be able to use it. You know what I mean? And have someone challenge me on it and be able to back it up with some facts, you know? So it was more so I could, uh. It was more so I could, I could talk shit to people. It's pretty much what I, I was uh, doing my research on it for. But uh, cool. So today we're not going to delay, man. We're just going to jump right into it. You know, this uh, I was I've been looking forward to this topic. You know, maps and topo. I think you know for a lot of folks, um, especially if they're traveling out of state, or you know, especially if they're looking particularly at, at kind of jumping into beast tactics and stuff like that. You know, map reading. You know, for me. I started taking the leap as a deer hunter once I started getting more familiar with reading maps, understanding maps, and then being able to use them before I ever before my feet ever hit the ground of you know or hit the soil for wherever I was going to hunt. And so it just made sense that you know we would start here because I've picked up a ton from you know Dan from stuff that I've heard you talk about, also from your DVDs, and then some books that I've read, and just felt like this is a great place to start to kind of get some questions about mapping and topo because I feel like if you don't have a baseline understanding of this, like you're really kind of you know, peeing in the wind to a degree and probably all down your leg if you don't have like a basis, basic understanding <laughs> of this. So, and I think we've all been guilty of it at some point in time, but we're here to try to help, you know, expedite that learning curve for you and hopefully give you guys a little bit more information to make some decisions as you guys are going out into the timber chasing whitetails. So to get started, Dan, we'll just kind of kick it off with you and we're going to, you know, we're going to go right to the top. So this person actually came from the hunting beast forum or from the Facebook page. And I think this is a great place to start. He says, you know, as a beginner with beast tactics, right? You know, I can kind of relate to this because I'd been hunting for a while before I found the beast. And it, and then it just kind of throws your life for a 360 as far as like, you know, whitetail hunting is concerned. And it's just, it's kind of like that next level of, of hunting. And he's like, as a beginner in beast tactics, you know, where do I start? Should I focus on aerial and satellite views or should topo be kind of my religion when it comes to reading maps? Dan, what's your thoughts on that? Well, it's a combination. Um, I really like a site called hillmap.com. Hmm. So just like it sounds, hillmap.com. Mm -hmm. um, that site, um, when you when you go on it, it splits into two maps, one on the left side of the screen and one on the right. And you can have one where you're looking at aerial and the other topple or, or one terrain and one topple or, or whatever combination you want. You can even put map up so you can search easy. Mm -hmm. And when you move one side, the other side moves. So you're, you get the same image on both sides, just one's one kind of map and the other's the other. Oh, interesting. Um, and, th and that'll help you a lot wow. with mapping. Um, so I like hillmap.com to begin with. And then you, there's a button you can click where you make the whole screen the one map, and then you can hit it again. That goes back to the division. Mm -hmm. um, 
So, um, yeah, you need to look at uh, uh, more than just topples and more than just aerials. You have to look at all the different combinations uh, to get really good at it. Um, and to answer the guy's question directly is he didn't give me enough information to tell him. Because if you're looking in hilly terrain, obviously topos are more important. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking in flat terrain, aerials tend to be more important. Right. Yeah. I was, that was kind of exactly where I was, where I was kind of thinking. Let me follow up on that really quick. So, like, I, you know, hillmap.com, like, what do you feel, like, what's the difference between that and OnX? Like, what's the benefit to it, do you think, beyond what OnX provides, like, as a mobile application? Oh, um, you know, I'm just getting started with Onyx myself. Okay. I just, I've been using it for uh, uh, about a season and a half. Right. Um, but basically, uh, I do most of my mapping on a PC because my old eyes have a hard time seeing <laughs> on the phone. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Um, so, um, the, the big map, being able to zoom in, be able to navigate with the old-style PC is just good for an old guy like me. <laughs> right. I got it. I got it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think even for me, it's like I'm going to check it out because, you know, uh, I mean, I do like on X, but I like the idea of having both of them side by side, actually, because there's a lot of times when I'm flipping back and forth between the two. It's like not that I'll lose my spot, but like, you know, I'm just being honest. My memory's not great. And so I might forget what I'm, I might forget in terms of what exactly I'm looking at as far as like a, like an elevation line or something like that. Then I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. And then when I flip it, I'll kind of lose it for a minute. You know what I mean? And so I do like mm-hmm. having them side by side. I mean, I do think the hybrid mode of Onyx is good. It, I will agree. Like there are plenty of applications when I've been in the field, you know, whether it's low light and this again is getting like my eyes are getting older. So when it's dark out, you know, in the early morning or as it's getting into evening, like I have a harder time seeing the map, you know what I mean? And like picking mm-hmm. out like minute detail or whatever. Um, so I can totally, I can totally get that. I do prefer myself the scout on my laptop just so I can see it better. Um, Cause so I, get, I guess the catch 22 is when you're in the field, you have to use the phone. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, exactly. But- in the old eyes, in the old eyes, pay for it. That's <laughs> old guys. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, I think that you you kind of landed where I was kind of thinking you would go. You know, and, and so I'll follow up with this because I think it, we had another question down here. You know, that was related to this, and, and you know, you kind of mentioned that a little bit more information would have been helpful for that specific question, like to give that person a specific answer based on what they're where they're hunting. You know, so I guess talk to me a little bit about the importance of topo whenever we're talking hill country and then maybe more so aerial and so forth when we're in like swamp or marsh or something like that where we don't have quite as much terrain change mm-hmm. is that what you're kind of is that what you're kind of seeing like where it's like if you're going aerial for like swamp or marsh it's like we're really kind of more so talking about you know where defining where those transition yeah, lines see, are and stuff so you'll 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 see it better i mean even if you're looking at a swamp and everything looks the same if you zoom in on an aerial you're going to be able to see the broadleaf trees next to the you know, the swamp trees, you're going to see the line, you're going to see the difference, you know, um, just like you see it on a topo map, um, where the topo map of those swamps, you'll see those little rises and stuff, but you really don't know what you're running into. Right. But on a map, you can really see it. You can see the difference in the uh, vegetation and stuff. Right. Um, and it's a lot more about transitions and edge and openings, um, where that's important in hill country too. Um, but a lot of it has a lot more to do with elevation. Right. Right. Uh, that makes sense. And that's uh, kind of, that's how I, you know, use it too. And it kind of falls in nicely here with, with this next question where this fellow writes, and I think this, you know, 
picking the right kind of map approach for, you know, where you're, where you're hunting and then, you know, what you're hunting in or scouting intent is, I think is helpful. And that's kind of what this next question gets to. And this, this fellow writes in and says, you know, when trying to speed scout, you know, what are some of the major things that you're, you're looking for? He's, you know, he's like, I've heard folks, you know, talk a lot about, you know, people waste a whole day or multiple days looking at a, you know, a big piece of property, you know, when maybe there's only three or four good spots they should really be focusing on, you know, or places that kind of, you know, that stick out, you know, like whether it's bedding or transitions, funnels, et cetera, you know, he's like, how does this change, you know, during different times of the year, you know, and how do you plan to hunt these areas versus, versus scout them? So I think the first question is really, is how are you using maps to help you narrow down where you're going to, where you're going to spend your time scouting? And then I think the second part of that question is, is how does, does that change at all throughout the course of the season as the seasons change? Uh, well, let's go one at a time. Yep. So um, the first one is, is how do I use uh, mapping um, to more efficiently scout? And the way I do it is uh, I'm scouting either transitions or I'm scouting elevation. Mm-hmm. So I can go into a hilly terrain and I really only want to look at um, the top third. Mm-hmm. And I'll find everything I need to know about that property in that top third. I might I might branch out from there a little bit. Don't get me wrong, but ninety five percent of the bedding in steep hill terrain will be in that top third, and it'll be in the uh, leeward sides. So you could literally just draw a line around that map on the leeward sides and walk that, right. um, and scout. It's got a very large section of hills, pretty fast, mm-hmm. and you'll know if there's something big in there. You'll know, you know where the better points are um, and the better little hidden spots. Um, and then when you get into like swamp or big woods or any of that, you're going to want to follow, follow transitions. Mm-hmm. Now, if you look at a big section of, of timber, solid timber, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of people be like, everything's the same. Where do I start? Well, I can guarantee you. And, uh, I'm sure John can chime in on this too. Everything is not the same. When you look at that big piece of timber, there's going to be a little tiny elevation change. It's going to be, just, you know, you know, a difference of a foot or two can make a difference in the types of trees. It'll make transition lines. Yeah. And uh, all that is where I want to scout. I want to scout those edges. Anything that's just vast, everything the same, even if there is bedding, then they're good luck trying to get any kind of pattern or kill a deer in that. Right. Yeah, John, what about you, man? Like, what's like what's your approach in kind of using, you know, mapping to, you know, to, to, to support your speed scouting? Yeah, I... I mean, a lot of times you can tell if there was a, a past harvest right along a property line. You wouldn't be able to see it on an aerial, but when you're right, when you're in there looking at it, you can see that maybe a species of timber was taken out of one side, or or there's an understory and on one section, and there's no understory on another. I found that to be a a good edge on on flatter land. I mean, a lot of the flat land we have around us, or at least up in northern PA where I grew up, was was actually on the tops of the mountains rather than in the bottoms. And I've had more trouble figuring out bedding in that flat ground than I have in the, on the sides of the ridges and down in the swamps and bottoms. Right. Yeah. I, I would agree with you with that. Like I, I, you know, Dan, maybe, maybe you can lend a little expert ear on this. It's like, I've had that same struggle. It's like, I feel like I do a pretty good job when I get in the hill country. Cause I know, you know, what, you know, what topography line I'm kind of looking for. And I know, directionally you know what side of the ridge i need to be on and stuff like that when i get into flat country even whenever i'm looking at transition lines and you know edge and stuff like that i still struggle to find find bedding is there is there any kind of trick you know dan you know from your perspective of like whenever you're in that flat land of trying to hone in on on bedding or is it just kind of a challenge regardless it, it, it can be a challenge but if you look at it like uh 
um, like say farmland is exaggerated on openings mm-hmm. and hill country is exaggerated on elevation. If you combine those two things, it's what you're looking for in, in flat, uh, mm-hmm. solid timber. So you're looking at the uh, the highest elevations and the lowest elevations. Even though it seems like it's flat, you're going to find the very lowest elevations that hold a little uh, water and, you know, like brushy cover where it's wet part of the year. Um, right. It's going to be great. And uh, the highest elevations that are just below the highest elevations um, will also hold bedding. They just have to have cover at that point. Right. So you can go to those okay. two positions um, and seek those out. And that you can kind of see on a topo map. Um, sometimes a little hill or something that's real small, which is what you get a lot of times in that flat stuff, can't be seen on a topo map. And you have to actually get out and see it on the uh, horizon. Some of that stuff isn't marked. Um, and usually the unmarked stuff seems to be better, like other people don't find it. Right. So right. You're in an area where other people map. Um, and the other thing is obviously, again, the edges and the openings. So if you could just take that map of that large, vast, um, like John said, the mountaintop that he was hunting, that big flat mountaintop, and you could just take an X and cross out all the stuff that's uh, the same type of just ongoing forever terrain and seek out that highest, lowest, and those edges, and you can knock that down to 10% of the property. And that's where you're probably going to find most of your action. Yeah. That's that's. Been I good. have another question for yeah, you go, related go ahead, to that. So I don't know what you call them, but we I call them like micro swamps. We have in these low grounds. Some of them are maybe down to an acre. A big one up in that area is twenty acres. Do you find bedding to be similar in these smaller swamps to the bigger swamps that you're hunting? Um, you, or, you know, it is similar, but the smaller swamps um, that are within timber. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, they're surrounded by timber. So, so you get like area. a, we call those potholes, and you get a pothole that's say like uh, five acres. What I find a lot of times is instead of being in the in the center, um, like you'd find more in the the, uh, the ground where more people hunt and stuff, and around farms and you know cities and stuff. Right. You find the deer more towards the center on little islands and stuff. Where in those bigger timbers, I seem to find the uh, bigger bucks on the downwind edge of those swamps kind of watching out um, and smelling the swamp from behind swamp. and using, yep, yep. And uh, okay. it'll get you because it's so small. If you come in from the side where all the sign is, you know, you'll get busted. So a guy's going to want to hunt there when the wind's blowing out of the swamp and he's going to want to hunt downwind of it on this trail that's got all the rubs on it. When you do that, that deer's on that edge watching you set up, basically. Yeah, so I'm you really have to think bed. about that's just like what you're talking about there. Yeah. So you really got to, uh, think outside the box. And once you start to understand the bedding, it starts to come to you a little better that you gotta, you gotta set up, you know, outside of the vision of that, where you want to be right next to that swamp, because that's where all the sign is, but you gotta be back where the deer's getting to, you know, far enough that you're out of the vision. Right. And then okay. I would also imagine, Dan, at that point, too, like, especially in those types of setups, because it's funny, this is something John and I were talking about yesterday a little bit, because, you know, I never started really hunting swamps until I moved to eastern PA. Um, and I'm much more comfortable in hill country, and it's been a little bit of a transition for me, you know, with, with swamps, because I have a lot of those same type of scenarios where they're not very big. They're like maybe 20 acres, five acres, whatever the, whatever the case is. And a lot of these places, too, like the access is 
is challenging because there might only be like one viable way in, you know, and obviously that deer, you know, mature deer is going to set up to where he can, if he's going to bed there, he's going to bed to where he can watch that one viable way in where people are coming in. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, that's the danger. That's the danger zone. And that's what he's going to want to watch. And I've been busted there a couple of times trying to come in. And so, you know, how do you access a place like that, man? It has, that's just almost like so bulletproof that how do you, how do you get into it? Cause you know, that's what you got to do. It, it's a, it's a uh, chess game. You got to go in there and, and, and look at the scenario and, and say, okay, this is what he's got going on. How can I beat this? And you got to look at the access points and stuff. And, and every different spot is different. I mean, there's spots I hunt that are a hundred yards in the road that I got to walk three quarters of a mile to get to where I got to hunt because I can't come in from the easy way. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot right. of stuff like that. There's stuff too, where it is super easy. You can just <laughs> walk right up to it, but every one of them has to be, analyzed and figured out and, and generally if a big buck's bedding there he's got some sort of you know half half-ass bulletproof spot right that's how he got that old is by bedding in spots like that you know uh pretty often when i find a uh, a bed that a mature buck is using on a regular basis there's a uh, a moment of awe <laughs> like holy crap out of this whole woods this is the really the best spot to be right you know it kind of dawns on you um, if you don't have that awe, like if you're thinking, ah, oh, I don't know, you know, it looks okay. There's beds here. Mm-hmm. It's probably a mature deer. Right. Those, those mature bucks seem to have bulletproof spots like that. So it does take, um, a little bit of an intelligent thinker to figure out a plan on how to get them. And, and some of them you scratch your head on and they're just so hard. You, there's no way to kill the deer. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes you just gotta, you know, push them out of there to somewhere you can hunt, or maybe that isn't even an option. Maybe you just got to go for, go for it and go sit right over the top of the bed one morning or something, you know, yeah. but, uh, you take your chance, but you gotta, you gotta look at the odds and figure out your best scenario to sit there kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the way I ended up, okay. the way I ended up with a decent encounter in this particular swamp was, uh, the access was tough. The only way I could get better access was to actually try to go to the adjacent private property uh, in the suburbs and see if they would let me walk through their backyard, um, which that's on the plans to try to do do this year. But what, the one way I ended up having an encounter in there was, and I think I might even mention in the last session we did where I was using, I stopped going in early in the mornings because I kept twice, I, I ran into a buck on the way back to bed as I was going in in the dark. And so I was like, all right, scrap that. I'm going to let him get back to bed and then I'm going to go in after daylight and then I'm going to, it's the spot that's close to a road. So then I would use road noise to try to walk quietly by like where I thought he was probably most likely bedded and setting up where I thought he was going to exit was where I was, it was how I ended up playing it. And that was when I actually had the encounter. Um, but that's also a very risky proposition, right? Cause a little shift of the wind as I'm, as I'm entering, like I was probably only walking maybe 60 yards from his bed you know, ish or whatever, you know, and a little shift of the wind and like game over. But that was, that's the only hunt that I had for him. And that was it. So it was either that or nothing, but. Well, a lot, a lot of the best hunts are like that. You, you know, you're on a just off wind or you, you, you know, because they got that crazy setup or, you know, you got to go broke and sneak in or crawl in or come in when it's raining and dry leaves or whatever. And mm-hmm. I mean, wet leaves so you can, make, you don't not make a noise. And, um, you know, most of them scenarios are tough. Yeah. But, you know, they just are. Yeah. They don't get old by being stupid. Right. It's, <laughs> so. it's not a magic answer. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So I think we covered that pretty, pretty good. I think, I think the net net is, is that, you know, use the maps to, to narrow down based on the key topography and terrain features that are relevant in the, 
in the habitat in which you're hunting to kind of take away 90% of wasting your time on stuff that's not going to matter and hunt and scout the 10% that is. Um, so the next question here is, you know, I'll be interested. I know you do a ton of scouting, ton of scouting. I know you've got a ton of areas kind of set up, but I know if I'm not mistaken, when you did the public land challenge last year, like, I think you went into that area blind, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this will be very relevant for that. So he says, you know, this guy writes in, if you're going into an area blind, you know, what types of things on the map are you looking for to key in? And is there anything different AM versus PM that you'll look at? And this, this, well, he's saying, a, he's saying hill country for this, but I would say, you know, whatever, whatever you want to use for it. Okay. Well, um, hill country is a lot bit different than Michigan mm-hmm. and Michigan was hilly. Right. But those bucks, because of the pressure were down in the swamps, but, um, in, in hill terrain, uh, I'm looking for, um, areas that got low access. So, um, like I hunt, uh, Western Wisconsin a lot, you know, um, Mm-hmm. Uh, Western Wisconsin, what I look for is I get away from, um, towns, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I want to get as far away from towns or in between them as possible where there's no motels or anything around and it's all farming community. Mm-hmm. And we have, you know, patches of public all over the place. So I want to find these public that are away from towns where a guy has to drive 45 minutes to get there and drive past three or four other public properties. Cause then when you get in those farming communities, most of those farmers hunt their own property. Or, or, or the people living out there have a farm they have access to. And then you have a lot less pressure on those properties. I can think of one property in western Wisconsin that's 400 acres that uh, I've seen um, one hunter on in about 10 years. And I go there almost every year wow. for, you know, you know, five, six hunts. Um, so I'm looking for those, uh, those hidden ones. And then I'm looking for, like, uh, low-key access, you know, where it th- there really isn't a parking lot or, you know, uh, or you have to, um, you know, take a, a little narrow access that's, uh, like granted to you to get to the property, right. um, things like that. I'm looking for, for properties that are not going to be pounded cause they're not like advertised with a giant parking lot and such. Right. So, um, then I'm looking for good terrain. I'm looking for a, a property in Hill country that has a lot of, um, terrain that sets up well for our common wind, which here it's uh, west wind. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking for points that face east coming off of these uh, ridges. Um, so uh, uh, a north wind will work, a west wind will work, uh, a south wind will work. The only one that won't work is an east, and then I try to find a spot where it comes together where there's some east ridges near it too, so a big buck can live in one area without having to leave it. He has all the bedding he needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the spots that have a low axis, and high ridges right next to the axis, right next to the road. Um, it seems to me that almost half the time when I get that, there's a big buck bedded up high watching the, the parking lot kind of thing. Right. Because um, nobody goes, goes to the parking lot, climbs this giant ridge to hunt alongside the road. Right. Um, and, and that's worked out for me um, many times with big bucks in, in hill country. Um, that's one of the things I look for. Um, yeah. I mean, it's other, other than that, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, that's about the main things I'm looking for. And right. then I got to narrow it down from there. You know, once I find a properties, you know, a drive past them. Right. And I do that too. I mean, once I narrow them down on a map like that, that then I might have 10 properties. I narrow it down to in an area and I'll drive past them 
and, and I'll take all the roads that go around them and I'll look and see, does it look like you're getting a lot of access? Does it, you know, does it look like it, it was perceived from the map? Because it doesn't always, you know? Right. Um, yeah, the one, there. yeah, the one thing I picked up from you, so it's funny, the, the whole, you know, ridge next to a parking area without, like, a defined parking spot, right, where it's just kind of, like, overlooked. I know I've told you a hundred times that the one buck I killed in Ohio was that exact setup on the leeward side of a ridge. You know what I mean? Like, that was, like, it was picture perfect. It worked out. The one thing I also picked up from you, among many, is, you know, you mentioned to me one time, and I'll never forget it, and I've used this quote multiple times. You, you, I believe it was you that said this to me. You said, big bucks like wet feet. And so one of the things I'll look for no matter where I'm going now, it doesn't matter if I'm going to an area that I'm intending to, ha- to hunt hill country, if I can find a little spot of water or swamp that I think is getting overlooked, that's one place that I'm going to investigate, especially if I'm going in blind because I'm betting that most people don't want to deal with the water. You know what I mean? So yeah. I guess that, that might be how like the Michigan play went. So talk to me a little bit about how that was, how, the, how you would look in hill country versus how like the Michigan you know, hunting blind kind of played out. Well, Michigan, I had a, an idea of what area of the um, state we go. Um, at first, we knew which area, mm-hmm. and then it got leaked out. So we had to, uh, so they scrambled around and picked a new area, and it was a whole different area last second. <laughs> so I had to scramble across maps, and everybody did. So it was fair. It was totally fair. Right. Um, but uh, I looked at uh, probably the center of the state is where we were planning on camping. And I looked all the way to Lake Michigan, and I looked all the way over to uh, wherever that lake is on the other side, but a thumb, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and settled in on a couple properties. Um, uh, the one where Joe shot his, his buck was a very large property and had a very large swamp, and we were intending on going down in that swamp and seeking them out. Mm-hmm. And uh, what happened was that they had massive, massive flooding we were there and we realized that all the swamp bedding got underwater and it was, there was miles of bedding and there was one huge ridge in the middle and it pushed all these deer from all around up onto that ridge. Hmm. And, um, that's why we were seeing all those bucks and stuff. That was a big advantage for us. Um, so we were intending on going down and hunting in those swamps and ended up hunting on the hills because of the weather situation. Right. Yeah, you guys had crazy, crazy rain out there for that, during that session. Right, right, right. You got to adapt. I mean, we walked down a trail, but we literally had to go through waist-deep water to walk down a hiking trail to get to that ridge. Yeah, I think I saw Joe in his underwear in that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then the, uh, the other spot, what we did was I found a spot that where there's these, a lot of properties along the lake that were like marshes and swamps. And I like the idea of water because it got, you know, you lose people as soon as you get into a foot of water. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed that one area of the public tapered down into an area surrounded by private kind of in a way that would, you, you just wouldn't notice kind of overlooked. Mm-hmm. And I concentrated on that and, and a little bit. And that's where I had like 50 or 75 deer a day going past me. Michigan has a hell of a lot of deer. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> contrary, <laughs> contrary to popular belief, but, right? Right. And, and you know, one thing about Michigan is, is um, I went in there with one mindset, and it was totally not what I expected because I listened to all the people telling me it. But I have an open mind, and I can change opinions quick. Right. 
And I'll, I'll tell you one thing I saw is those people there differing from here can put stands up and leave them. Mm-hmm. In Wisconsin on public land, you have to take it down when you're done with your hunt. Right. So going over, over there, people would put up two or three stands. They'd have two or three spots. So even though they told me that everything gets hunted and there are no overlooked spots, I heard that from, I can't tell you how many people. Right. I thought it really created overlooked spots. There was a ton of really good stuff by the road. Um, you know, the old fat girl scenario, right? Because, because nobody's going to put up a stand, you know, a hundred yards from the road overlooking a hiking trail or whatever. If that's their spot, I wouldn't even do that. Right. But you go in here for your one kill, you know what I mean? And yep. you go hit those overlooked spots. And I found a lot of big buck sign in those kind of spots. It's just hard to get it done in a week. Yeah. 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 You know, but uh, that's the thing is you've got to be able to, you know, look at those maps, adapt, find out that your perceptions from home mapping were wrong and be able to throw all everything you learn on, at home mapping in the garbage <laughs> yeah. and start over on the fly. You know, yeah. Yeah. you got to be able to do that. Hundred percent. I think that's one of my biggest uh, biggest problems. I can get stuck on my cyber scouting. Yeah, that's something I've been working on. Yeah, I think I think we've all you know. I know I've been guilty been guilty of that. I'd say for me, it's probably really been in the past probably two two and a half years to where I get a really good general idea of what I might walk into when I get to a place, Um, and then. I don't put the map away necessarily, but I just kind of let the ground tell me what's going on. Like there's a spot in one area that I hunt in Ohio where there's a, there's a bench that's just dynamite um, for sign and for, for, for encounters and stuff like that. But you would never see that spot on the map. Like it's not on the map. Right. The only way you know it's there is that you just had to put boots on the ground and and run across it, you know? And, and I think that's one of the things where it's like, as much as I love map the maps and as much as I love the being able to sit at home and scout and have, you know, these digital maps that I can kind of get in and out of quickly and, and do a lot of saving myself time when I get to the timber, like there is still no, there is still no replacement for just doing the work and going and seeing what's there. You know what I mean? Like that's the one thing it's like when people just rely yeah. on map reading from home and then they show up and they're like, you know, it's like Mike Tyson said, everyone's got a plan to get punched in the face. And most of the time when you're going into somewhere blind and you read your map, like you're going to get punched in the face, you know what I mean? So, but yeah, uh, for, for me, yeah, uh, I might pick a spot or two on the map, uh, especially hill country. I like going traveling the hill country in the rut. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love hunting hill country in the rut, the way it lays out, but I'll go to new places cause I like new places and I'll map some stuff up before I get there. But a lot of the time, um, I've got like a destination that I'm going to hunt in the evening. I scout my whole morning. I never even end up to any of the destinations. Yeah. And a lot of times, um, uh, when I'm hunting a spot, I'll have a spot in mind that I'm going to hunt and I won't even make it there yeah. because I'm always scouting my way in. And if I find fresh sign, I hunt it. So I'm yeah. constantly looking at those maps and, and looking for areas and finding a way to scout my way to my, my spot, you know, and, and a lot of times I, uh, I'll only hunt uh, an hour or two in the morning or I'll skip mornings and, and do a lot of scouting, you know, unless it gets into the rut, then I want to be there in the morning. But, right. but, uh, right. uh, I'll skip a good portion of the day, just putting foot feet on the ground. And I think a guy'd be better off if he just scouted for two days and then hunt, you know, sometimes. Yeah. Because, uh, um, getting in those areas and, you, you know, like you said, you can't see everything from a map. Yeah. You're going to get in the right areas. 
you're going to get in the right direction. You're going to find those leeward spots. You're going to find that, this, that, and the other thing. But you still need to put boots on the ground to see if there's uh, uh, scent containers laying everywhere around the ridge or, right. you know, limbs cut and, or if there's, uh, you know, wide open timber that you thought was uh, thicker, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, hundred percent agree with you, man. That was like, it's funny that, you know, I've, I've kind of adopted that a similar approach or, you know, almost the, the same approach. And it's come from, you know, talking to you a lot. And it's like, and like, I'm a big quote guy. Like I like quotes, like your big bucks, like wet feet, like that'll stick with me for forever. And I just always remember that whenever I'm going to scout places, when I'm looking at new places, there's, you know, Zach Farrenbaugh, you know, he and I were talking on the show the one day and he, he had mentioned exactly what you said. He said, I start without a destination in mind. You know, I know you might have a spot and he might have a spot too, but like his point was really, like when I walk into the woods, I'm hunting from the moment I step foot into the timber. As soon as I shut the mm-hmm. truck door and walk in, like I'm hunting. And then whatever I find along the way is going to really dictate how that hunt plays out and where I'm going to end up. You know, and I, I just liked that quote because for me, it's that really is the way to, especially if you're freelance hunting, that's really the kind of the, the way to do it. It's like you should just kind of let the, 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 the timber kind of speak to you and, and take you on the journey that it intends to take you on. You know, not to be too philosophical, but. You know, I think once I started giving myself to that and becoming confident in what I was seeing, like that was the big game changer. And like for me, where the map starts to play a role is as I'm doing that and I see and I start to see sign, I start then look at the map and I'm like, where's the likely place this is going to end up? You know what I mean? And as I'm following the sign, I'm going, oh, okay, that's why this is here. There's this little knob or this little whatever. There's this little pinch here. It's just a subtle little pinch that's funneling deer into this one spot that I can't see on the map. You know what I mean? And it's those little nuances to me that kind of start to make all the difference. And those are the overlooked spots because they don't, they're not on the map. That's, that's the true definition of mobile hunting. Yeah. And mobile hunting ain't uh, going out and setting up 20 spots and then rotating through them like you had permanent stands. Right. It's going out there and actually hunting and finding spots and reading sign and going in and killing. But yep. people kind of tweak it to their, their own style, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll move on to this uh, next question here. I think we covered covered that one pretty well. So this next one, I, I think, is kind of interesting. And this might be more of like you know maybe a little bit more of a beginner question, but I think it's kind of good to good to touch on this. This fellow writes in and says, you know, what types of things you know should he be looking for on topo maps? And what he's really looking for, Dan, I think, is like shapes, right? Because I think for me, especially early when I first started looking at you know maps, like it can just look like a mess. You know what I mean? Until you start learning, like you know, almost like hooked on phonics for reading maps. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, it's like, here's a fist, like with the knuckles. It's like, okay, these are, these are points. Right. And then like, you know, a, a, a row running out, there's a ridge. Right. And then, you know, if you have a U back to back, like there's your saddle, you know what I mean? It's like, it was things like that, that once I started learning shapes for these stuff, like it really started popping out to me. So for you, what are some just like, like your top three, like quick shapes or keys on a map that you're looking at that says, Hey, this defines this topography feature. This defines this. Um, I actually kind of like, um, long straight ridges that connect, um, broken up terrain, mm-hmm. broken up hilly terrain. So that long ridge is the connecting point, the leeward side. Mm-hmm. Um, I like those. Um, I also like a uh, little short ones right between bedding, but you got to kind of learn those. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing you really want to look for is the thermal hubs, mm-hmm. which is the, the little valley that's kind of hidden that has, um, points that come in and meet all in there in a small area and all that, all that, uh, thermal drop goes right into that area and you can't penetrate it 
um, a lot of times those will hold the local giant. Mm-hmm. And you can read those on a map pretty well. You can find them. Um, it's a valley that has points coming in from several directions that I could bet on any one of the little points. And it's a pretty small area, so they can kind of see or hear or whatever every point, so they can move around in there kind of freely. Uh, they're really hard to hunt, but those uh, thermal hubs are uh, are deadly for holding giant bucks. Right. John, what about you, man? What are what are some like, you know, nice shapes, if you will, on the on a map that you kinda that you kinda look for? I mean even use like maybe the the example we were talking about yesterday when we were when we were chatting stuff that you were looking at. Uh the oxbow. Yeah, just like you know, when you're, you're talking about Yeah, when you're looking at maps, like is there are there any like shapes that jump out to you like I mean, back to back use for like a you know, for like a saddle or something like yeah, that? Yeah, from a Yeah, I mean saddles uh, they stick out to me. I, I guess the best way to describe that would be kind of like two U's facing each other. If you're looking at a topo map and this low point would be between the two U's. Uh, I always describe points as B's. Mm. Um, yeah, cool. uh, yeah, the river or the river oxbow is one thing I wanted to talk to Dan about today, but I have no experience with oxbows at all. I've never really hunted any, any bottom land, but I've been, cyber scouting this this piece in ohio that i'm planning on going out to on opening weekend and uh i have a swamp in mind and a a big oxbow in mind and and uh, i i i've watched all of your river bottom bedding videos and gathered all the information i can get but i just i'm really excited to get out there and see it in person and i was just wondering if like if you if you see them bedding along the edge the most, or if you ever see them on the interior or on the outside edge of the oxbow, um, usually when it's where, where you oxbow, I see them on smaller oxbows that are probably like up to about a couple acres. Um, it's probably about okay. the biggest, but uh, they'll have bedding in there in a few different spots if it's a good one, um, and they kind of rotate along, usually close to the water's edge, and they monitor the solid land bridge going onto it. So they expect danger to come in from the solid land and that's what they're watching for. Um, so that's how they're, you know, they're betting in a relationship to watch or smell that, uh, that opening. So if it gets too okay. big, they, uh, they won't, it won't be a safe betting spot. So it has to be kind of a narrow opening that they can kind of monitor and then jump through the river, or, you know, and the river can't be too right. huge because, there has to be a good escape, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. That was one thing I was wanting to check. This this oxbow is about, I would say it's three hundred yards deep from the point and two hundred fifty yards wide. Sounds like it, it might be a little a little bit big, but I could still yeah, check it, it out. Yeah, it might be. It might be worth looking at. Um, you never know. <laughs> yeah, it's filled with CRP and it looks like little planted pine trees in there. So should you, you know should what you find thick, a lot but, of times. Uh, uh, this might sound sound a little simple, but um, you, you know, I noticed this about like when I first started hunting Iowa. It was like the stuff in Iowa that held giant bucks wouldn't hold a jackrabbit here, <laughs> um, right? In the in, in the pressured areas that I hunt, and you know, at first leaves you scratching your head, but when you look around, what does Iowa have? You, you know, where I was where I was hunting, it was you know solid fields and a little patch of uh, crap. Well, where can they be? Right. So sometimes yeah. uh, 
it's it's relative to the property you're hunting too. Yeah, I mean, like you're mentioning CRP. I mean, if it's a lot of CRP, that oxbow, even though it's a little oversized to what I'm talking about, might be dynamite. Where if it were here, it would suck. You know what I mean? So it's it's still right. relative. You still gotta um kind of weigh it out and you know. Right. Yeah. I th- I think that's the one thing. Like when people. Regardless of whether you're talking about caliber of deer or animal you're targeting or maturity of animal even, you know what I mean? And it's the same for when you're looking at maps. Like, you know, every state is not created the same. So what is garbage in one place, you know, or might or something that might be a immature deer in one place may be a mature deer in one place and might be dynamite habitat in another place. Right. So I, I think yeah, it kind exactly. of you know, it it kind of goes back to the idea of like you know, John, I think, you know, based on what you and I were talking about yesterday, it's like, man, I would go check that place out. You know what I mean? I think it's one of those places where you kind of got to do a walkthrough and, and see and see what's yeah. there. You know what I mean? Are you are you headed there before the season or are you just is it going to go in blind and just kind of wing it? I'm planning on going there. If I can't get within the get there within the next few weeks, I'll probably go in blind and or maybe go the day before the season. There's that bank I can sit on and have a perfect observation set. Right. But uh I, we just got a we just got a little puppy, so our hands are full at the house now. But hopefully, within a few weeks, I'll right. be able to make it over there. <laughs> nice, so, nice. We'll but, take him along. Yeah, man. we'll see. Get him, get him on some sheds or something. Yeah, you know. All yeah, right. I'm working on that. Yeah. So the next question I think we're going to run to here is uh, this fellow writes in. So Dan, this guy's looking for like a specific piece of advice here. So he gave me a little bit of a scenario. He said uh, he wanted to know how to approach this particular piece of, of public land. He said he's got ridges that are running north and south. He says, like, I got a dominant, like prevailing westerly wind here. And then I have, you know, big timber and, you know, thick mountain laurel around and the leeward side and the top of the mountain is private land and there's no food plots anywhere. How would you, how would you approach that particular piece, piece of public, public land? So again, North and South Ridge, West wind, leeward and top is private. Uh, so, um, you either got to, um, hunt the hunt down low and hunt far enough back that you, um, not getting caught by the rising thermals. Mm-hmm we're not moving there until it's shaded, which is, you know, real tight to the end of the day. Right. Or you have to, um, kind of pick a spot to penetrate that hill, mm-hmm. you know, from the bottom and, and get up there and get into a spot and get them traveling along that ridge. Right. Um, you know, if, if it's rut, I would definitely penetrate the ridge. Right. I'd get up there and hunt it, but you don't want to walk down the ridge because then you're, you're screwing one side. No deer's right. going to come walking down your trail the whole way, smelling your scent the whole way to you. Right. So you want to come in from the bottom and go up. Um, outside of the rut, I'd probably try to get them dropping the food if they're, if that's what they're doing. Right. You know, um, either get them where they're coming down on an angle so that your updraft doesn't uh, get to them, you know, um, or because uh, you're going to have that rise in thermal going up the hill. Um, during the day until that last half an hour. Right. Um, yeah, or was, uh, just get back far enough. Right. Yeah. I was thinking along similar lines where it's like my first thought was kind of like, all right, rut would be like my one play and I'd maybe not hunt it other, other than rut. If I was hunting it otherwise, you know, <clears throat> I know he says he doesn't have any, there's no food plots around and that's fine, but you know, scout the, the guts out of that ridge and figure out where your oaks are at, you know, where are the oaks dropping and mm-hmm. stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. If you can, if you can scout it. Yeah. 
Um, like if I went in there and rut, I mean, one of my tactics on, on rut ridges when I go into new areas mm-hmm. is I'll find a, a, a nasty draw, like a washout that's all rocky and stuff. Yeah. And I'll go up the guts of that instead of up the ridge side. Mm-hmm. And if they're bad enough, you'll get all the deer across in one spot. And then you get up there and it gets you out of that, uh, that tunnel and everything. Cause it forces the trail around that ridge or whatever. And you don't get your scent anywhere, mm-hmm. you know? So I love those, those washouts that you got to climb through hell to get up them. Yeah. You know, there's usually tangles in them and stuff. Yeah. But if you can do that and you can get up to the top, usually you have the trails concentrated there and in rut a lot of the time they're going to they're going to cruise that leeward side instead of coming up or down right yeah have you ever found so you like got to penetrate the hill the one place where i've found like a little bit of luck was like coming up those up those draws like that when you get to the very top where it kind of like closes off as you get near the top of the top of the ridge like i've found mm-hmm. just like i always seem to find trails that kind of like run right around the edge of that right they might drop back down on either side but they'll almost always come up around the top of that thing as opposed to like crossing that right. gully that's exactly what i'm talking about yep. yeah okay cool yeah 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 that's a yeah it's just it's it's a nasty booger of a climb trying to climb up those things man I, I, that's for sure those aren't aren't pleasant there's usually a few tumbles involved it's always nice if it was created maybe by like a originally by like a logging because then at least there's like <laughs> there's like certain like areas of flat ground where you can kind of like have a little bit of a, a, a decent walk but those ones that are just completely made by washout are just brutal to, to get up and down but uh <laughs> what you're laughing at me looking for the easy path <laughs> no i'm just i'm just uh in the back of my simple mind i'm imagining some old guy watching you go up that draw thinking what the hell is wrong with that guy <laughs> dude i was i was thinking that when i was walking up it like <laughs> I wasn't even. I was the guy doing it, and the old guy laughing at me at the same time. You know what I mean? It's just, but they're great, man. They're dynamite because I mean, you can, you know, you're a couple things. I mean, like, you know, you're kind of you're not skylit at all, right? And like, deer aren't going to mm-hmm. walk up and down it, so you don't really ever have to worry about crossing deer trails. And if you do, there's not you're not crossing many, right? And if you are, you're probably crossing them low to where you're probably not going to hunt anyway. Because I'm looking to get to the mouth of that at the top, you know, and yeah. so. You know, it's just a dynamite way to access anything. It just, yeah, it, it these, it sucks. The good thing is too, <laughs> I, I mean, uh, a guy's going to set up that updraft thermal. Um, if you expect an evening movement, you could set, you could set up below it. And mm-hmm. as the sun goes over the hill, your scent's going to drop right down that draw that you came up. Right. Yeah. If you get up high enough, you can get away with it a little bit before it drops too. You can go over the top of them or something or shoot them before you get to the, the bend around. And the, Best case scenario, get to drag a giant buck past that old man and nod your head at him. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Well, that's that's my goal. We'll see how often that work works out. If my, my legs might be tired from walking up that draw, I don't know. We'll have to see. But uh, awesome. Well, let's get. We'll move on to the next question here. This this fella asks, uh, and again, Dan, this this one here is another another hunting scenario here. Uh, he's he's got for us. He says he's hunting super flat terrain, you know, with, but there's lots of, uh, uh, the, the terrain super open. There's a ton of agriculture that's around and it's kind of dotted with small, small wood lots that are maybe like 10 to 60 acres. And, but they've got a little bit of distance between them. They got about a half mile between these, between these properties, between these wood lots. And he says, you know, what topo feature or, you know, maps features on a map, you know, should he be looking at? trying to determine how these deer are traveling, what are the, what, what they're using as primary travel corridors. So what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I probably wouldn't worry about primary travel corridors mm-hmm. because when they're opening, when they're going into those fields, it's going to be probably pretty much uh, close to dark. Right. I'd be more worried about uh, uh, weather bedding mm-hmm. and uh, finding that with the mapping, and then based on where I would hunt, based mm-hmm. on that. Um, even when they're moving in daylight in that type of terrain in openings, they're usually watching the opening before they go into it. Mm-hmm. So it's really a matter of figuring out the bedding. Um, in a lot of cases in that terrain, I don't even find them in those woodlots like everybody thinks. I find them in the fence lines, watching mm-hmm. the woodlot edges, um, the overlook spots to the side. A little a little corner of brush, let's say it's like an acre, you know, it's got heavy grass in it because it you know, doesn't have enough timber all the way around it to uh, close off the light. So it's choked in with grass. Mm-hmm. Those are some of the best bedding spots you've ever seen, and everybody ignores them. They're hard as hell to hunt, but once you figure out the bucks are there and how they come in and out of it, it gets a little easier. Yeah. But uh, looking at the woodlots, I'd be looking for low wet areas within those those pockets of timber. Yeah. Um, that would have them bedding more in the timber. Yeah. Rather than on the edges looking out. Um, when they do bed on the edges of timber, when it's uh, pretty much all dry ground, and they bed on the edges of the um, woodlots. They're on the downwind side watching out. So a guy's going to wait till the wind's blowing him in his face to go set up down there, and guess what? The deer's watching you. Right. So you have to kind of come in from an angle or, or observe it before you go in there, how they, how they come out and move, um, or hunt it in a way that you can get to a spot where they can't see you get to it if, if you get the wind in your face. Right. Yeah, the one thing I immediately thought of, and you touched on it right away, and I don't have, like, this is something I'm looking forward to experiencing is, uh, you know, as soon as you said those, you know, fence lines, hedgerows, you know, a ditch in the middle of like a, you know, ag field or whatever the case is, like, you know, I know I've talked to Andy May about that. And that dude, you know, almost makes a living at killing deer like that. And there's a spot in Michigan where he hunts, where that's a lot of what he has. And I think the nice thing about that setup, and again, I have like maybe one or two spots that I could do that or do that around here potentially. But he'll do like an like a an observation sit and just either that or glass and watch and literally watch where that buck is standing up out of that fence row or out of that hedgerow or out of that ditch or whatever, and watch how he's moving to feed like in an evening, and then he'll kind of know when he needs and where he needs to put a hunt on. And a lot of times, and this goes back to Dan, what you were saying before about being mobile. It's like truly being mobile is like hunting, you know, and letting the sign tell you where to be and then being able to kind of set up and kill from whatever the scenario is. And like in a lot of these setups, he's killing, he's killing from the ground because there's not a tree to get into and he's got to walk and kind of hike and get into position to intercept that buck when it gets out of bed. And that was the first thing I thought of was was that setup. There's kind of a box that you put yourself in. A lot of people, I should say, put themselves in this box of believing that deer do a certain thing, Mm -hmm. you know, like they believe deer live in the woods. So that woods, that's where they live. Right. Instead of narrowing down where they're coming from. Because what you find is they're really not timber creatures. They're they're really more edge and thick cover creatures, you know. Um, they're more likely to be in those fence lines, at least the mature bucks are, mm-hmm. than in that woods. Yeah. You know. But they're they're not gonna put themselves in a scenario that's gonna um cause their demise. They live in that terrain to get to be five or six years old to the point where you want to kill them. They didn't do it by sitting in the middle of that timber where two guys can walk in or chase them out. The guys with guns on the other side. Right. Yeah. They didn't do that. I mean, they set themselves up to watch you and stuff. 
and and uh, um, they either learn that very young or they die very young. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> stupid <laughs> dies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, why, that's why old bucks are smart is because stupid dies. Right. That's why and, we're... and by sitting in the middle of that woodlot, you know, think about think about like this. If we're playing war mm-hmm. and say it's a little more serious, it really is war. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to kill you. Yep. Are you going to go hide in the middle of that woods? Are you going to hide in a vantage point where you can watch for me coming? Yeah. And totally. have an escape route and stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's really simple if you start, you know, getting outside of the box of what people kind of put in your head to think, you know, yeah. they just don't mature bucks. Just don't sit in the middle of that square wood lot. Like everybody thinks. Yeah. 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 I mean, they're driven by, you know, survival eating in a handful of weeks out of the year, procreating. You know what I mean? So it's I'll, like, I'll tell you, uh, I can't t- tell you how many farms I've, I've scouted. It's probably like one out of five when I go scout farms for people mm-hmm. where I find the biggest box bedding area where that guy had no idea it was there watching where he accesses that farm from the same spot every day. Every day he hunts, he comes in from the same spot, parks his truck in the same spot, and that buck is sitting there watching him. Right. Yeah. You know? I see that scenario over and over and over again when I look at properties. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're watching us and, you know, taking into consideration our movements, you know, as much as we're, as much as we're watching them, you know what I mean? And that's why, you know, off topic of maps and topo, but like, that's why first time sit, you know what I mean? Is always that prime killer sit, like your first, you know, first or second sit's going to be your best because you have the element of surprise. And after that, you kind of lose the element of surprise and on these older deer, if you don't have the element of surprise, like you're really going to be, you're hiking uphill up a drainage and watching an old guy laugh at you. That's what you're doing. You know what I mean? So, right. <laughs> so, but John, man, do you have any, um, I know, you know, I know you're in West Virginia now, but in PA, did you have any of those smaller kind of chunks of property that had, you know, open areas that maybe there were deer that were maybe unconventional kind of spots where you're finding deer? Oh, uh, that conversation just made me think of the buck I shot this year. I'm not exactly sure where he was bedded, but I'm pretty certain that he was watching. Uh, we have we have 90 acres of private land that our family owns, and we always parked in the same land log landing area. It's an old one, but they actually just logged it and reused it this year. But we've always parked in the same exact spot for 20 years, even before I hunted, and it was my my grandparents and my dad and uncles and all that, and nobody ever walked this one direction right to the very corner of our property it's about i don't know 100 or 125 yards from this landing right on the the rim of this bowl big bowl north facing bowl with a point on each side and uh, i went back there one day when i was in high school and there was just big rubs all over the place and this was before i knew anything about the hunting beast so i was like oh this looks like a good spot (laughs) and threw a tree stand up in there and didn't see anything because it turns out that i was that was a bedding and I didn't even realize that I was blowing everything out walking in. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that that buck this year was sitting right in, maybe not in that exact spot, but right around the rim of that bowl, watching the parking area this year. And I think that mm-hmm. the one of the main reasons I got him was because I got dropped off by my cousin right before I got into the parking area, like when I was just out of sight of it, and went and looped around this where this deer would have been. And I think this deer probably watched my cousin pull into the parking area and, and walk the complete opposite direction, thinking he was safe. And he walked the opposite way. My cousin ended up walking right before dark, and I was sitting there waiting for him. 
No, you need right to around the rim have, of that bowl. Have your cousin drop you off and walk the other way as a decoy every year, and you'll be set. <laughs> it wasn't planned that way. It just, it just happened that way. But I thinking back on it, and I, I've been trying to figure it out. He's I, I know he's betting in one of two spots, and I can't even check it now because I don't live there. But right, uh, I'm pretty sure he was sitting there watching the parking area. Yeah, it's, and he probably thought that he was safe because my cousin went the opposite way. Right. It, it's interesting. It's like when you start thinking about that, you know, Dan, these little overlooked spots and stuff like that. It's I can't help but see them now. You know what I mean? Like it's the first thing yeah, I'll see. Yeah. You know, as soon as like I went to a new piece yesterday, uh, Saturday, I was hanging up some some cameras on a new piece that I scouted this winter, and <clears throat> I didn't get to scout this one area because I was spending time in the clear cuts this winter and. and and there was an elevation line that deer were kind of using as like a rut funnel through this, through the middle of this clear cut. And the way I wanted to access, it was not at the parking spot. Kind of what we were talking about earlier. It's like, I found this little sliver of public where that was smashed between two pieces of private and like a little area that may or may not be a pull off area. I may have been parked illegally. I'm not hundred percent sure. Um, <laughs> but there was a little sliver that I could get up through and get, and get into the, the clear cuts. I wanted to hang cameras in yesterday or on Saturday. And on my way up, it was, it was just kind of interesting because I was in between these two pieces of private that I bet no one ever kind of hunts because it's close to the road. And what you know, I found like hammer sign in there. You know what I mean? And I was like, man, I yep. bet there's a deer laying in here. I was like, I, you know, and then sure enough, like, I, I, I shit you not, I, I walked like maybe another 10 feet and I jumped a, a big bodied solo deer out of the brush and he took off. You know, and mm-hmm. I imagine it was probably a buck that was better there because yeah, he was by himself, cool. you know, and there was a bunch of, you know, old historical sign from last year that was laid down in there. And so it was just one of those things where, I mean, he was maybe not even 50 yards off the road, but like anyone, if either property was going to hunt and they were going to walk in, they would have had to walk right toward him to walk into that piece of, that piece of public. And that's where he was, that was where he was laid up, you know? So yeah, there's overlooked pieces yeah. now. It's like, I, I kind of thought of that before I walked in and then just kind of confirmed it whenever I, when I got there, but All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And hell, while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a subscribe there as well. I'll be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, and Gumleaf USA Boots. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.